You are listening to the Advisor Solutions Podcast, episode 45. Welcome to the Advisor Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Finley, president of Advisor Solutions. Do you know how to manage your relationships? I don't mean your personal relationships. I mean your business relationships. The relationships you have with your boss, management, clients, and more importantly, the relationship you have with yourself. Most likely, you don't. <laughs> Instead, most likely, you've never given it any thought. Does this sound like you? Well, if so, know this. You are not alone. Most financial advisors, insurance agents, wholesalers, branch managers, and even agency managers don't have a well-thought-out process for managing their business relationships. And they don't even know it. And the reason they don't know it is because they're so busy working in the business that they don't take time to work on the business, and they neglect one of the most important parts of the business, which is how they relate to others. Let's face it, the financial services industry, it's a people business. If you can't manage your own relationships, the relationships of the people around you, you can't be successful. So what do you do? Well, you have two choices. You can keep doing what you're doing, and you're going to keep getting what you're getting. Or you could learn what I call relationships under management. That's what we're going to talk about today. How to manage up, manage down, and manage from within. So, if you're ready to increase your ability to connect with others, those that are around you, then stick around. So why this topic? Why would you want to learn how to manage your business relationships? Because the better you are at how you manage your emotions when communicating to others, the better connections that you're able to make. And like I said in the last podcast, connections are what create success. Because without connections, you don't turn strangers into clients and clients into friends. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast today. Because I wanted you to understand that your success or your lack of success is a direct reflection of your ability to connect. So what we're going to do today is we're going to cover three things in this podcast. First, how to manage up <laughs> so that you understand how to communicate with management, compliance, or anybody else that you may report to. And second, how to manage down so that you understand how to communicate with clients, staff, or anybody else that may report to you. And third, how to manage from within, so that you understand how to manage your own emotions and emotions of others, so that you can make what I call effortless connections. Now, before we jump into those three things that you're going to learn in this podcast, I need to ask you a few questions. What would your business be like and your life be like if you knew exactly what to do to create better connections? Would you feel energized? Would you feel empowered? Would you like your business more? And would you apply what you learn? If the answer is yes, then let's begin. How to manage up. Before we discuss how to manage up, it's important to understand what up actually means. Think of the word up, meaning anybody that you have to report to. 
It could be compliance. It could be a branch manager. It could even go higher up to a district manager or regional manager. It's anyone whom you are accountable to at any given time. And if you've ever been in management, you know that it's not easy. Managers seem to have an S on their chest, expected to be Superman or Superwoman, while actually having a target on their back, meaning, well, <laughs> if their people don't produce, they could be let go. And that said, the, the art of managing up is also not easy. There can really only be three things going on at any given time. First, management wants something from you. Second, you want something from management. And third, neither you nor management is actively wanting anything new from each other. In other words, everything is going along as usual. That's a good place to be. But let's break down all three to see how you can strengthen your relationships while you are managing up. Management wants something from you. Now, whether it's your branch manager or regional manager, district manager, compliance, or someone that wants something from you in management, if management needs or, or wants something from you, you need to get crystal clear what it is and why they want it. You see, the why they want it can explain the urgency that they have. It can also explain your level of urgency that you need to, to give that task. Let me give you two examples. The first example is a client of mine, or was a client of mine. Unfortunately, she's passed away now. But years ago, this client, she got a phone call at Thanksgiving, right around Thanksgiving from her branch manager. And this guy said, you need to hit your minimums, the firm's minimums, by December 31st, or they could let you go. So notice the urgency that he had. He wants her to stay, or he wanted her to stay. He was being forced by his regional manager to give her a warning, basically, that they'd have to let her go. And that's a lot of urgency to, to really have to get this done, to hit those numbers. Now, let me contrast another one, the second one. My branch manager back in, it was December 17th, 2002, when I got a phone call from my branch manager and he said, I need for you to do an additional 17000 gross by the end of the year. A lot of bonuses are riding on it. Now, notice the urgency that he had. It was his bonus that was riding on it. He was calling all of the top producers to do more production because he wanted everyone to do more production so he could get his bonus. And most likely, his boss's bonus was riding on it. And so the urgency was self-serving. When I asked, how do you want me to do that? He said, I don't know. But if you need any help with transfer forms or any annuity paperwork, bring it to me directly. And what I'll do is I'll make sure I get it in right away and we'll move it along. He was even willing and open for me to hurt my clients at the sake of him reaching his bonus. And that's not a lot of urgency for me to take action. Also, you need to know what the time horizon is. You need to know when you need to get it done, if it's ethical, before the time horizon, because you want to be able to go back to him or her and let them know you did it. So managing up. When management needs something, and it's important because they do need things at times that are important, you need to do those. However, don't trade your client's trust for their greed. In other words, stick to your integrity, and I'm sure you will. <laughs> On the flip side, 
don't be the employee that, that your manager can't really count on, if it's ethical, because he or she won't forget that either. You want something from management. So if you want or need something from management, you need to realize that there's a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this. Let me give you two examples. The complainer. <laughs> this is the person that has problems. They don't have solutions. They focus on demands. And they basically don't address what it is that they really need from their manager. They complain. And the complainer, get this, is not liked. Now contrast that to the problem solver. And this is the person that has a problem, just like the complainer. But unlike the complainer, they have a solution. <laughs> they focus on explaining the challenge and they, they focus on the solution and asking questions to help the branch manager come to the solution that they need to come to. And when they help the branch manager to come to those solutions, the branch manager basically came to that conclusion themselves. And they constantly address what's in it for the manager as well as themselves. You see, they follow up with the manager on the results that happen. And they build goodwill every time their solution works out. You see, the problem solver is liked. And, and let me tell you a quick story. It's a story about a client that I had. In fact, I had a session with him today. But years ago, when I was started coaching him, he needed more staff. So he had a problem. <laughs> he had grown his business to a, a certain level, a point where he needed additional staff member, one more at least. We mapped out the plan, the plan for him to ask that branch manager to lunch. We prefaced the conversation with, I've got a situation that I, I need your opinion on. Do you mind if we grab some lunch? And at lunch, he brought it up. And when he brought it up this way, it helped the branch manager want to solve the problem. Notice what we're doing right here. We're bringing up a challenge, and that's okay. And then we have the branch manager help us solve the problem. And then he explained that he had grown, and the branch manager knew that. And while he had grown, being understaffed, how much his assets under management had grown that way with the current challenge, and how much more it really could happen if he had enough help or another staff member. Next, we asked, or he asked, the branch manager, what have you seen other advisors do when they were at my level to get to the next level or keep growing and be able to service more people? So that branch manager could come up with a solution. And the solution was letting him hire additional staff members and being open to paying for it, or at least part of it. And when the branch manager explained the obvious solution, he introduced his variation on the solution. He said to the branch manager, well, I have a solution, and I, I think it's going to work out as a win-win for both of us, which got the branch manager to listen. And then he presented his request. Also, he was ready for an objection, such as, well, I don't really have that in the budget to hire somebody else, in which case... He was ready with a counter to that objection, which was, how about I pick up half of the first year? And if I increase my assets under management in the next year by 20%, which would be about 20 million or 200,000 in gross commissions for the office, I 
I would be paying less that next year, the following year. And let's say instead of half, I pay a quarter of that the year after. That way, I have an extra added incentive to gather assets, and you have more gross commissions in your office. Now think about that. Do you think that advisor got that additional assistant? You bet he did. And that was because he was managing up. The third way, neither you nor management actively wants anything new from each other. In other words, everything's going along just as usual. If this is the case, just know that you're lucky. Everything is moving along smoothly, and neither you nor management is actively wanting anything. But when this happens, use the following tips that I'm going to go over. First, keep your relationship with your management light. Second, check in every once in a while to see how they're doing. Just touch base. How are things going? Third, check in every once in a while to just let them know about you and your wins. Fourth, put in a plug for anyone who's doing well on your team, staff, or any connections you have. Like a private banker, if you're working in a bank branch, and they're giving you a lot of referrals. And also, ask if they need anything from you. You'd be surprised at how how far that goes. It goes a long way with creating goodwill. Now, let me tell you a quick story on that note. Years ago, when I was in my third year as a rookie, my boss asked my boss asked me to stay late one night to show the new rookies how to cold call. He said he'd buy pizza, we'd sit in the conference room, and I'd make calls while they'd sit and listen. I told him, I stay late every night. Sure. <laughs> and that turned into him not attending at all. And it turned into me coaching them on what to say, how to say it, and how to handle objections. And it created goodwill with my boss. So much so that he would actually send the brand new rookies, well, actually, the people that weren't even hired yet, he would send them to me just before their second interview just to see what I thought, if I thought that they would make it in the business. You see, by creating goodwill, it can go a long way. And this is Managing Up. How to Manage Down Now, before we discuss managing down, it's important to understand what down actually means. Think of the word down as anybody that is actually reporting to you. Could be an assistant, could be another staff member. It could even go as far as thinking about your entire client base. You see, it's anyone whom you are responsible for, so to speak, at any given time. Now, you might think that your client base fits under managing up because they hired you. And they're looking to you for trusted advice and exceptional service because they're paying you for your expertise. And so you're responsible for them. You're responsible for them hitting their financial and insurance goals. And that's why I consider clients as someone that you are actually managing down. Also, managing down should not be confused with talking down to someone. It's not a subservient role, but just another role. So if you've ever been in, in an advisor or an agent or a wholesaler or a branch manager for a long period of time, you know it's not an easy business. The business of giving advice, that is. Some advisors 
are seen as heroes when the market goes up and villains when the market goes down. Some agents are seen as heroes when rates go down and villains when rates go up. And some wholesalers are seen as heroes when their products are outperforming the market or the competition and villains when they underperform the market or the competition. In any case, it's important for you to know that you are in control of your relationships, your relationships with them. And that said, the art of managing down is also not easy. But it gets easier when you learn how to communicate with them better. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at five strategies for managing down. So let's begin. Strategy one, mastering personality-based selling. Now, I talked about personality-based selling in episode 36, Mastering Personality-Based Selling, and I talked about four core personality types, and it spells out the acronym CORE. They are commander, organizer, relater, and energizer. So, first strategy is to understand what they are. Commander is results-driven, organizer is accuracy-driven, relater is feelings-driven, and energizer is energy-driven. So you need to know what each of those are, and you need to know their hot buttons and cold buttons. And the reason being is because once you know that, you know how to speak to those that you're managing down to. Remember, it's not talking down, it's managing down. Strategy number two, train clients about your role. Let me tell you a quick story about this. Years ago, I had an assistant, and her name was Sue, and she was a great assistant, but one of the things that she did was she trained me and the other four rookies in the office that she was, you know, basically working for, she trained us to do her job, and we didn't even know it. And so one day, I realized that some of the things that I was doing were definitely things she's supposed to do. And so when somebody would call in and they asked me a question about some kind of service work, I would say, that's actually a Sue question. Let's do this. If you have any questions about your investments or the market or any kind of investment-related questions at all, you ask for me. But if you have any questions related to anything at all that has to do with paperwork or transfers or anything like that, you ask for her. So once I started doing that, I started training the clients to know what my role was. Strategy number three, master the call-in, walk-in dialogue. Let me explain what I mean. The call-in, walk-in dialogue is you get interrupted, but you probably don't have a process for handling the interruptions. And here's what it is. Step one, qualify the situation. Why are they calling? And you can ask a question like, how can I help you? And step two, determine the outcome, what they want. And you can say something like, well, it sounds like that you need to change your beneficiary or something like that. And they're going to agree. Step three, quantify the course of action. In other words, who does it? Who's going to do it? You know, I'm going to have my assistant Sue look into that and give, and she'll give you a call back. Are you going to be around later on today or early tomorrow? And they'll probably say yes. Step four, end the conversation. Here's how. Well, what's the best number to have her reach you at? Great. I'll have her give you a call. Thanks. And that's it. 
Now, the fourth strategy is to manage clients' expectations. When you're managing down, part of this is managing your client base. And the client base right here could be concerned about the bear market, which they probably are. And if that's the case, you want to do the 60-second market story. So let me explain the process. Step one is to acknowledge where the market has been recently, in the recent past. Think of it this way. When you're doing a 60-second market story, you start off with an introduction such as, well, do you mind if I kind of let you know what's been going on in the market? They'll say, no, that's fine. And it's really set up so that you talk about past, present, and future. So step one is acknowledging where the market has been in the recent past. And you could say something like, you know, since the beginning of the year, the market has actually been very choppy, and here's why. And you explain why. Step two is explain where the market is currently. And currently, the market has been even choppier, and the reason is is because one of the major banks actually just folded up. And then you go into step three. Explain where you believe that the market might be going in the short term and why. And because of that, I think the market is probably going to blank, and here's why. And then you go to step four. Recommend the best course of action. And because of that, what I'd really like to do is just sit tight. Don't sell anything. Let's ride this out and see where we're at in the next few months. Now, it's important to note that not all stories will sound exactly alike. And that's because each financial advisor has their own opinion about the past, the present, and the future direction of the market. And that's okay, but we don't have a crystal ball. And also, you don't have to have a crystal ball. You just need an opinion and your guidance and your reasons behind your recommendations. Let's go to strategy five. Strategy five is managing staff and their expectations and activities. So think of it this way. One of the hardest things to do when managing down is to continue to manage a growing staff. And I've worked with several multi-million dollar producers that have their biggest challenge being their staff and how to communicate effectively to the, to the staff. And the reason is, is because there's just more people to manage. In fact, the larger the staff, the harder this problem really actually becomes. And let me tell you a quick story about a, a top producer, a multi-million dollar producer that ran into this challenge. Now, I'm going to call him Joe, but that's not his real name. And so when we started individual coaching, he decided that what he wanted to do was work on managing his staff. You see, the challenge was that a lot of times the staff didn't know whose job it was to do something new. Or everybody did everything, which also equated to some things not getting done at all. And when we started working together, he had an idea for a new campaign, but nobody wanted to work on it. And so he did it himself. And that was kind of the process. So we did the following. And this is what I'm going to suggest to you if you're managing a larger staff. First, you want to identify what everybody's role is. What are they doing? And I have an exercise for that. It's called the role exercise. Second, you want to communicate what everybody thinks their role is. And you might find that some people think their role is one thing, and it's really not. Third, you want to get the buy-in that everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. 
Fourth, you want to have a backup person. In other words, if one person is sick or, or they quit, you want to have somebody that takes over that role or knows what to do. And the next one, have a procedures manual. Get this. If you've got a procedures manual and somebody decides that they quit, you can just open up that manual and teach somebody how to do the next thing, or actually better yet, delegate that. And the final thing, have a formula to communicate. Let me explain what I mean. If you have a formula, and it's effective, a formula to communicate, then you'll communicate that same way every time, and you'll connect better. And that's what we did. In fact, here's how we did it. What he would do when he'd come in for a meeting, he'd lead with the positive. <laughs> Everyone is doing a great job. Something like that. And then he'd explain the challenge. But we're running into growing pains because some of the information is not being filled out on the new account cards. And we need to get that done. And then he'd go into the next thing. He'd explain the solution. So what we're going to do is, is to have a new account card checklist that needs to be checked off before we finish the paperwork. And then he'd explain the reason. So that, now this is very important to use this so that, so that there's no mistakes going forward and we get these done right. And then he finishes up with a buy-in, getting their commitment. Does anybody have any questions about this? And they'd pretty much say no. And he'd say, great, then that's what we're going to do. I'll have the checklist for you. Everybody uses the checklist and we won't have mistakes. And within six months, the staff was on board, fully on board. There was no pushback. Everybody knew what to do. And people were actually volunteering to do new things and becoming accountable to do them. And finally, certain staff members were taking on more responsibility than others. They were actually becoming kind of team leaders to the senior advisor. And my client became great at managing down. How to manage from within. So I said we'd cover three things in this podcast. First, how to manage up so that you could understand how to communicate with management, compliance, or anybody else that you may report to. Second, how to manage down so that you understand how to communicate with staff, clients, or anybody else that may report to you. Now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to manage from within, so that you understand how to manage your own emotions and the emotions of others, so that you can make what I call effortless connections. And to truly master relationships under management, you really need to be able to own your own emotions and to master those emotions. But how do we do that? How do we manage our own emotions? Well, as I said in the previous podcast, episode 44, The Emotionally Intelligent Advisor, we increased our emotional quotient, and that's how we do it. And let's recap the four ways to be able to do that. Increase our emotional quotient, or EQ. <music> Emotional self-awareness. Now, emotional self-awareness is knowing what emotions we're feeling at any given time and being aware of how those emotions, which are our feelings, are actually impacting other people, whether it's our clients or prospects. Now, the best tool for emotional self-awareness 
is really a tool that I created years ago called the One Minute Business Coach. Now, the One Minute Business Coach is a tool designed to identify the highs and the lows of your day or your emotional roller coaster. Think of it this way. It's just a roller coaster that's your emotions that are either high or low at any given time. And once you identify a trigger, a high or low point, you write it down. So you write down the time. When did this happen? Maybe it's 8.45. The activity closed a big deal. And was it a win or a loss? It was a win. The behavior pattern. I was able to close because I was basically, I mapped out my questions and, and I mapped out my closing technique. So it's either a behavior pattern that you want to reinforce or a new behavior pattern that you want to do. Now, let's talk about the second way. Now, the second way to increase your emotional quotient, your EQ, is emotional management. Emotional management is about having the ability to restrain from emotions that could possibly jeopardize your relationships with yourself and with others, as well as having the ability to bounce back from any and all emotional setbacks. And the best tool for emotional management is the Conquering Negative Self-Talk Worksheet. It's a worksheet that I created that has four possible headings, one for each type of negative inner dialogue, which is the worried advisor, the critical advisor, the perfectionist advisor, and the victimized advisor. We use all these dialogues, and they happen all the time. And there's a three-step process to this. First, identify the negative inner dialogue that you're saying to yourself. It's kind of like a record that keeps playing in your head. Second, ask yourself a relief question to poke a hole at that dialogue. And third, back it up with a positive counterstatement. And to create a new dialogue, it's really about scratching that record because there's always going to be a record in your head. So you want to make sure you're listening to the right type of record. Let me give you an example. This would be the critical advisor. And this is something that you might say to yourself or have said at some point. And it goes something like this. I'm not going to close this account because they always need to think about it. They never want to move their money to me. Now, we'd go to the relief question. Is this always true? Have I ever closed an account before? <laughs> With any prospect? Ever? And then the positive counterstatement. Closing an account is merely a function of getting ready for any and all objections that might possibly come up. I can use an objection resolution model, and I could be ready for those objections. I could practice, and I could plan for it, and I could get through any objection if I just work at it long enough. And after a while, objections are going to be easy. You see, when you have a process, it becomes a lot easier to handle that negative inner dialogue. Let me tell you a quick story about a, a client of mine. And this client has recently been using this worksheet quite often. You see, he's in his 70s, and he's trying to increase his emotional management. And every day, he does this exercise. And he emails me at the end of the day, and he tells me how many times he did the exercise and how he felt afterwards. And in the last two weeks, he's been creating a, a new habit by changing the record in his head. And it actually has been working quite well. And get this, this is the thing that's working after 70-some years because he's doing this process and he's managing himself from within. 
The third way to increase your emotional intelligence is self-motivation. This is very important. And you know that you've got to be self-motivated in this business. And self-motivation is really about being able to regulate your actions towards your goals. That's what it comes down to, regardless of setbacks, adversities, discouragements, frustrations, or anything else. See, self-motivation focuses on the positive, the positive short-term, intermediate, long-term accomplishments. And it actually, it delays any activities that promote short-term gratification at the risk of slowing down or halting what you need to do to hit your goals. And the best tool for being self-motivated is a tool that I created years ago that I've talked about in many podcasts called The Bottom Line List. It's a game. It's a game that you just basically play for 45 minutes, five times during the day. So you've got five 45-minute blocks, prospecting, client servicing, prospect follow-up, getting ready for appointments, or being in appointments, and miscellaneous. Now, you stick to those those 45-minute blocks, and if you do four out of five, you won the game. And if you won the game, give yourself a reward. And if you lost, you punish yourself. Then at the end of the day, you're accountable to someone by shooting an email over to tell them what you did. And you rewarded or punished yourself. And I got to tell you, this game works. In fact, it reminds me of a client that I had years ago who doubled his business in a year by sticking to this game and doubled it again a year and a half later. And he was not a rookie. He was in his 60s and he was a very successful agent. Let's go to number four. The fourth way to increase your, your EQ is to be highly empathetic. You see, being highly empathetic is about being able to sense what other people's needs and wants are and feelings are. And empathy, I think anyway, is the cornerstone of building relationships. Because true empathy takes place when the other person's perspectives are into account. You see, this business is a business of trust. And you know that. And to truly be trusted by prospects and clients, especially clients, they have to feel that you have their best interest at heart. And so they have to feel that you are listening to them and you're empathetic. And the best technique for this is called empathetic listening. And what empathetic listening is all about is letting people know that you heard them. And there's four levels to empathetic listening. I'm going to do a whole podcast on this, but what they are, level one, which is mimicking. That's not a good one. But there are places for that. If someone says, you know, a number, such as if you ask, how much do you have in your 401k? Uh, it's 1.3 million. Oh, 1.3. Then that's okay. Level two, <laughs> rephrasing what you heard. Level three, feelings. And level four, feelings and rephrasing. You see, when you're able to do empathetic listening and you ask a question, they answer, and you do empathetic listening, you rephrase what they said or or you talk about the feelings that you think they have, that sounds frustrating, is it? That kind of thing? You're going to make a connection. And that increases your emotional quotient. Now that we've talked about all three types of relationships under management, managing up, managing down, and managing from within, it's important to talk about how to put it all together. The way to do this is to to look at it in real time. 
today before you speak to, let's say, your branch manager. Take the time to map out what you're going to say. How you manage the conversation really comes down to how you manage the relationship. So take some time to really figure out what you're going to say. Also today, before you, you speak to a staff member or a client, take the time to map out what you're going to say and how you're going to manage that conversation. And most importantly, today, right now, today, and every day from this moment on, take time to manage your own emotions because without you taking care of you, you'll never take care of others. And when you do this, you'll truly master relationships under management. Well, thank you for listening to this Advisor Solutions Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to subscribe so you can listen each week. Also, check us out on the web at advisorsolutionsinc.com. And finally, if you like what you heard and you want to know more about the Advisor Solutions Group Coaching Program or the Advisor Solutions Individual Coaching Programs, please email me at dan at advisorsolutionsinc.com. I would be happy to set up a free coaching session if that's what you'd like. Again, that's dan at advisorsolutionsinc.com. Please join us next week as we help advisors and agents build a better business, one solution at a time.